You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Warren and I'm joined as ever by James Rushton. James, are you well, mate? Yeah, buzzing. You know, uh, I guess you could have called it for 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, probably the third historic Villa performance of the season. Uh, it's been a brilliant night despite the scoreline. I'm, uh, I'm buzzing. Very happy for Aston Villa today. We're all, we're all aware of the uh, the COVID restrictions that hit Aston Villa with uh, having to play their, their youth team. Uh, no first-team senior players available. Much like the podcast this evening, the senior figure of the podcast, Matt Kendrick, has bottled it, basically. Yeah. Uh, he told us earlier that his Wi-Fi wasn't working very well, but we both think that he just thought Villa were going to get battered tonight and didn't fancy <laughs> the podcast. And then he, he's messaged us just as I was sending it up, saying, oh, do you want me to jump on? So I don't think it's dodgy Wi-Fi. I think he was just wasn't faith, didn't have any faith in the kids' old Matt Kendrick. But here we are. They did all right, didn't they, the kids? Yeah, they yeah, okay. I mean, First of all, I um, hope everyone who was in part of the COVID outbreak at Aston Villa in the first team and the first team staff is doing okay and they're going yeah, to return definitely watching, and but yeah. fit and healthy as uh, possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is Villa stepped up to that. I think 4-1 the scoreline. You'd probably imagine that would have been the half-time scoreline. Mm-hmm. The blunt truth, Villa, um, Liverpool playing a number of starters, including two or three of the best players yeah, in the we'll entire world. Um, uh, compared to last season when Villa's only starter was Douglas Louise, I think, against them. So maybe Trezeguet uh, against, uh, you know, the, the under-23. Even our, yeah, in, in, the, in, in the Cup. So, um, yeah, it's a, a crazy one because even our under-23 team is missing, you know, the Ramsey brothers, Chuck Omeka, yeah. Philogene Badesh. It's it only really Louis Barry, Revan, Kessel Hayden and a few other names that you recognise. It, was, it wasn't even our strongest under 23 <laughs> Yeah, you had to play the kids of the kids. Yeah. Double down. It was crazy, Dan. Amazing. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what's quite interesting is that obviously you, and this is just a technicality as much as anything, you, you, you say the kids, don't you? And it's mm. the youth team. And in the half-time Facebook post that we did to say the scoreline, I'd put in brackets 18s or under-18s for Villa. Almost just to prove a point. Villa are doing well here, and let's not forget yeah. this is the, the under-18s for people that aren't aware of what's going on. And I saw a comment say something like, it doesn't matter that they're under-18s, it's still Aston Villa. And that kind of almost took me back a bit at half-time to go, yeah, that, you know what, that is, that is actually true. Yes, you have to define it as the kids because it's an unusual situation, but mm. that was Aston Villa. And you can tell that they're learning the same style of football that is going through at the first team. You, watching that, you could see things that the, the youth team do, that the first team do. They look good on the ball. They want to be in possession. They'll play on the counter-attack. They'll be quick. They'll, they want the ball. They want possession. They'll play it around. It's not like we've just watched a, a Sunday league game kind of style, do you know what I mean? That they're just hoofing it around and it's kids that aren't ready for football. Physically, yes, they're, they're obviously a way away. Some of them are literally still children. We've had a lot of talk about they can't drive, that to be dropped off by their parents, but they look small in comparison to the big Liverpool yeah. guys. Physically, obviously, that's something that will come with puberty as they get older. Like I said, some of these are still 16, Biology years with Dan Rollinson. Yeah, they will get physically bigger in the years to come. But technically, and from a football perspective, there's clearly some talent there, and, and the future looks bright for the Villa kids. It's, it's it's a discipline yeah. and you know the the tactical knowledge of this team that you don't really see in oh you haven't really seen in youth teams it's just been one one of these kids is brilliant we might put him in the first team on on the bench for a few games and sack him off you know th- this is a highly structured organization aston villa that are clearly bleeding down from from the 
to the first team, to the, yeah. to the under-18s. as a similar style of football. They want the same roles in the team. They want, you know, that those young players to be ready to step up to that first team level and, and happy to roll in that team eventually. Not saying, you know, Kesler Hayden's going to suddenly be um, replacing Matty Cash or even uh, at Target on, on the, that fullback, but that's an option. Like Villa have that option now. They should be comfortable thinking if in an injury crisis, you could bring two or three of those in. And you, I would be confident after that performance. I know it's just one performance. After that performance, you'd be really confident about the future at Aston Villa mm. because, you know, there's been golden generations that have gone to complete waste at this club, to be quite frank. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of recency, recency bias that we're all just happy with what we've seen. I'm going, oh, this, this side might be great, but I'm sure we'll look back on it in three or four or five years' time and there'll be articles and podcast segments everywhere going, what happened to the team that played Liverpool in the FA Cup? And they'll all be like playing non-league or whatever. Lou Barry might still be doing something. He looks a very good player. Um, there's a few comments asking about where does Louis Barry rank now in terms of the, the Villa strike force. And obviously, he's not going to come in and replace Ollie Watkins. However, for the goal, obviously, it was on BT tonight, but if you were watching it on, on like a well dodgy stream, let's say, or a blurry gif or whatever on, on social media, that pass and that finish, if you didn't know who that was and you just saw Claret and Blue, you'd be you wouldn't be um like ridiculed for thinking that was Grealish and Watkins combining. That's a that's a very good goal, it's a great ball. Um yeah. I said Ollie Watkins, Lou Barry's run the length of the, the half pretty much, muscled off a, a Liverpool defender and, and slotted a, a perfect finish home. Yeah, he made uh, he made Reese Williams look silly. He was Reese Williams twice the size of him. I know he's quite st- relatively young as well. Um, not probably Still not young. Lad, yeah, yeah. It's it's just how how he took it and and ran it past. I mean, Reese Williams nineteen, Lou Barry seventeen. You could see the physical difference in him, and you know, yeah. Lou Barry's first start. Let's be honest. Callum Rose ball, excellent. Lou Barry races from and finishes, and I I think for me. He should be in that first team circulation. I mean, mm, Wesley, Keenan Davis, and Ollie Watkins, different types of players. You might look at Davis and Wesley to be more involved in the link up and do their damage through, you know, bringing others into action. Whereas Ollie Watkins is a bit of an all rounder, as we've seen. He can do a lot of everything, especially um, his striking ability. But Louis Barry looks an out and out finisher, um, someone who could, can run off the back shoulder, probably. That, that aspect of Ollie Watkins, we've seen him the most. So for me, I feel like. There's a there's a bench place uh, every few games there for him. I mean, God, probably keep him grounded. That's what they want to do at Villa. They don't want to get him too confident too quickly. But after that performance, it seems like the sky is definitely the limit for a few of these players. Uh, somebody asked about the difference between uh, Barry and Vasilev. I'd forgotten about Vasilev. He's gone out on loan, hasn't he, this season? I think is he with Burton Albion. Yeah, yeah, he's played. He yeah. has actually played a few times for him, but it has been a. Let's not forget context. It's been a really tough season for Burton Albion. Yeah, uh, manager sacking Hasselbank's in there now. Um, I think they had a COVID outbreak, as well, I'm not too sure, and that really disrupted their season. So I, we can't compare it really because Vasilev was kicking on. He was playing first team football, mm-hmm. but he would have probably been a part of that team had he um, stayed at Villa and not left on loan to play that. But we we shouldn't really be making those comparisons because it's uh it's a bit tough, really, isn't it? We can't compare someone who's playing at a really struggling Burton team to someone mm. who's played in a one-off FA Cup match where there, there was nothing to lose at all. Well, I'm going to make another comparison, and it's probably also unfair <laughs> with someone that is still here with Keenan Davis. Now you mm. look at Keenan Davis and think I think he's 23 in February, if I've done my research correctly. Louis mm. Barry's 17, and you kind of think, well, Keenan Davis is still a youngster, but. In football terms, when you're looking at a 17 year old who just scored a great goal against Liverpool, and yes, it's one goal in a one off game, like you've mentioned, but he looks a talent. Mm. And you think, well, if he, where will Louis Barry be at 23? Will he still be making bit part appearances for Villa coming off the bench? Kieran Davis hasn't played enough football 
or he hasn't played as much football as he should have. And with that gold stand again, comparison is probably unfair. And I don't want to use Louis Barry's positivity to make yeah. a negative point, but I feel like Keenan Davis wouldn't have run the length of the half and slotted that ball away in the same way that Louis Barry did. So I look yeah. at that and think, if you need a goal in the last 10 minutes, who would you rather bring off the bench for a like, a like the like sub? Keenan Davis at 23 or Louis Barry at 17? Some people yeah. still probably say Keenan Davis because he can bully defenders and they're different players, but I still think that Louis Barry would be best served being in and around that first team a little bit more often. Keenan Davis is still getting bit part opportunities at 23. I feel like Louis Barry could be offered the same services at 17 and develop, develop at a much quicker rate. It's kind, of, it's kind of a weird conversation, isn't it? Because you think, oh, Keenan Davis should go out on loan and get first-team football. Well, Louis Barry should definitely be yeah. getting some opportunities at League 2, League 1 level, even if it's conference, just playing men's football. Because you can see the yeah. development that, it, that that's in it. You can see not just a difference in quality between Liverpool and Aston Villa, even though it weren't there for like 60 minutes of the game. You could see the fitness and the physicality. And yeah, the physicality, the, yeah. You know, Villa chasing that game, the entirety of it, the, you know, the entire game. And when they were struck at the start, kind of getting their confidence, they lost all their energy because they'd gone out. They were chasing the entire game. And the problem was they, they have to react to everything for about 40 minutes and you can't, that's mm. not going to happen. We can't expect anything more from them. So all in all, brilliant performance, but we can see the difference that men's football is. And look, Keenan Davis has been part of his first team setup. He's never getting starts. He's never getting... A, major appearances he's getting minutes trickling through here and there to kind of you know pad his numbers a bit probably need to see him go out on loan as well and bring in someone right for Wesley to come back because we've got two young strikers one a few more years younger than the other and both in dire need of first team football to progress um, also Davis sorry man um, besides Lou Barry, who stood out for you, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here with the name. I can't even remember half the names and half the positions, to be honest. But um, is there anyone that stood out? You think, yeah, there's a decent player there. I wasn't cool. because there's a few names, like you said, it, it wasn't even the four in, under 23. So, but you look at Kessler and Barry and play and names that you recognise. Is there any others that stood out and you thought, you know what, there's a looks a half decent player there? Yeah, I think Lamar Bogard seems to cover every inch of grass and he always seems to be choosing different people to mark and harass throughout the game. Um, Brad Young's little roulette in the uh, box at the end. Stunning confidence of that. I wonder what would have happened if he'd started. Like, Where would that, what would he have seen? I don't know if he'd have been better than anyone, but he was just, come on, goals down in his own box against Liverpool and he's pulling off moves like that. That's stunning confidence for a a young player. Um, Mungo Bridge, fantastic. I mean, tough start for him because he got caught out, but you could see the size difference and the speed difference and the you know the knowledge between him and Mane. It's not comparable. After that, he did the best he could in, in the circumstances and really gave a good display. But um, Akash Anodi as well in goal, the double save, yeah. you know. Yeah, excellent. Bit, bit of luck, because that could have bounced anywhere, but like he gets his hands with the reflex and it goes away. Yeah. You know, if he doesn't do anything, it's going in anyway. So fantastic. And uh, Villa would have been in dire straits without him. The scoreline would have been much higher. And he was kind of that platform that gave Villa a lot of momentum. When they pulled off that double swipe and they got a bit of kind of confidence behind them, it looked like anything was possible. So, you know, I know I'm missing out a few names here, but to a man, fantastic. Callum Rowe, Ben Crisene, you know, brilliant. It's hard to make too many snap judgments, isn't it, on, on one performance? Mm. Because you, you do think there's, the experience is way different. The physicality is, is totally different. I've said, I think the title of this is, is boys against men or men against boys, but but they they acted in a way that you'd look to look to them tonight. I think I'm, I'm proud of the boys tonight. Like it's just I don't know whether it's because it's kids. I like, I watch the first team as I'm getting older now, and you don't notice it when you're a kid, obviously. But 
like I'm 25 now and yeah. players come into the first team at 21, 22 and you go, oh God, like I'm, I'm older than first team footballers. So watching these boys now being 16, 17 and being dropped off by their parents, it's a weird scenario and you, you do kind of feel this weird attachment of like, I'm proud of these footballers that <laughs> that just represent Aston Villa and they're playing a one-off cup game, but you just can't help but feel proud of them. Um it's just a weird game. I don't, like I said, I don't think you can make too many judgments on, on what a player's going to be like based off one, even though I am going to hype the Blue Barry because it was a great finish and there's little moments like that where you can go, well, there's clearly some individual quality there. The goalkeeper the same, making good saves. That could happen in, in any game. Um, it's just the, the almost the reaction to this game is what I wanted to talk about a little bit because before beforehand, I tweeted today going, just imagine, just just imagine if Villa actually get us to to the fourth round tonight. I know it's against all the odds, and I think the odds for us to win was something like fifty to one, even just to qualify or whatever yeah. to get through. It was it was in hindsight probably never going to happen, even though they did well for that, that first hour. But I got people tweeting me going, oh, it'll be a cricket score if if it's single figures, that'll be an achievement. Like games don't get to twelve thirteen nil. Like it just, it could happen, but it just doesn't happen. Like if it gets to five or six, we'll shut up shop a bit, or Liverpool will hopefully take their foot off the gas and go. They're, they're kids, like let's let's not do that. Um, I know it's professional sport and everything, but still, you know what I mean. So I, I never felt like it was going to be a, a twelve, thirteen, fourteen nil, like people were saying. But I also didn't expect Villa to be as good as they were for that first hour. So that first half in particular, like to go in at one all against the Premier League champions at, at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, is an incredible achievement just on on its own. Yeah. What was your kind of reaction to it? Because some people thinking, well, if we get battered, it might be better just to to have forfeited the game because no kid's going to benefit from being beat fifteen nil on live on BT Sport. But in hindsight, that didn't happen, and that yeah. was probably a worthwhile experience for those kids tonight. There must have been kind of some ruling that they, I don't know how the FA Cup works, but the rules are different to the Premier League, where the Premier League can postpone it because the schedule's a lot more flexible. Yeah, the FA Cup. Or the FA was seemingly really unwilling to do that, which is why Villa had to field some kind of team today to kind of get it over with, rip the band, you know, the, the plaster off almost, so mm-hmm. to speak. But that wasn't the case. And, you know, we, we, we speak about the names there that like we held, held in such high esteem. You know, they, they've all made names for themselves. They're even like Dom Revan at the back, who's been, you know, a, a academy fixture for seemingly so long. And you think as a, as a 20 year old centre back, he might be a bit standoffish against the best players in the world, the yeah. best strike force in the world. The guy was throwing in hands and elbows to kind of get where he needed to go. He was really confident. So I think, you know, it, the, the scoreline, you can just look at the scoreline alone, 4-1, go, oh yeah, they, they did get played off the park. Liverpool took their time. If you weren't to look at the goals as a neutral, you, you'd be saying all sorts of things and um, mm. judging this Villa team, but they made themselves so proud. And even if the score was 12-1 after that first half, whatever, Villa oh, yeah. rocket up <laughs> Liverpool for 45 minutes. So you can, people can look at the scoreline in history. They do, didn't watch the match and say whatever, make whatever judgments they want, but it won't matter. It won't matter at all. It's a fantastic performance either way. So kind of glad the game got played now, I guess, because, you know, we can we can all sit here and be happy about it. And hopefully there's no kind of after effects of, of um, any of the outbreak at Villa Park mm-hmm. spreading anywhere. I think the, the way the goals went in is probably interesting because when the first one goes out in after three minutes, you think, oh, here we go. This could be a, a mm. terribly long night. And what happened with the, the other three goals afterwards being scored in quick succession, you think if something like that, that happens in the first five or ten minutes, it's obviously game over from, from minute one. Um, the fact that they, they stuck in it at 1-0, got the equaliser just before half-time and played a good hour, that's more yeah. than anyone could have asked for. Once the second one goes in to go 2-1, then the third one, and then the fourth one all in the space of, what, five minutes or something, 
that's just I think that's just the nature of the game. It being against kids, that the lack of concentration, the adrenaline goes. You make a, you concede the third goal, then you're open for the fourth. It, it's gone by that point. It, it doesn't matter. Um, I just thought the, the, all the stuff. I mean, I've talked about it on Twitter a little bit tonight. So I'm at risk of repeating myself. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, I just thought the way that it was all handled from the Liverpool side has annoyed me. Jurgen Klopp just chatting absolute rubbish. Like he spent all season moaning about fixture congestion. Now he can't rotate his players because he hasn't got the opportunity because every game's important. And then he's playing against literally children tonight in some cases. And he starts Mane and Salah and Henderson and Fabinho. And it's like, yeah. you can't have it both ways. Like, yes, I'm not expecting Liverpool to go, you know what, you're playing the kids. Let's just be fair, we'll play our kids as well because Liverpool have got every right to play whatever team they want and get through to the next round of the competition. I'm not I'm not bitter about the fact that Liverpool played a strong team. I'm just annoyed at the fact that you can't have it both ways where you spend all season moaning about fixtures and substitution rules and then go and play a strong team against children <laughs> against Villa. That doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. So things like that annoy me. It is understandable. It's just, um, I think... Managers always say kind of things that get picked up that are kind of slightly that they want their way, don't they? Dean Smith doesn't want substitutions. Jurgen Klopp wants more substitutions to be added. So it's always going to be these comments that stick out, and especially when they make a selection such as that. But I felt like when when Liverpool announced that selection, I kind of felt that's the team they would have picked anyway. Like, well, they well, that's what change. he said pre-game, and he was like, "Oh well, we found out late, and we can't change." And he's like, "We can." Yeah, I felt. That's, <laughs> I felt I felt a bit odd about that, but um, I think if they were going to pick that team, they were going to pick that team. And I think if Villa against Villa's kind of rotation, bit of first team players here and there, who knows? But um, it was, I thought what was really odd actually was the uh, relief. We were in that game for 60 minutes and the Liverpool Twitter account was like, get in, get in. And I was oh, like, their Twitter account as well. Like, get in. That was weird. It was like really like everything in block capital was like, Mane, goal. It's like, wait, you've gone through you sense the relief. 17 year olds. Also, the substitutions they made, bringing on Thiago at half time and Shakiri and Firmino. And it's like, they had to make those changes to, to get back into the game. Like, it's not that Villa were on top and they were going to go on to win it and Ari or anything like that. But they were struggling to get through a Villa team made up of 17, 18 and 19-year-olds. So the fact they had to make those changes and bring on all that extra experience. Yes, they're great players. And like I said, I'm not bitter about the fact that Liverpool have played a strong team because they're entitled to do what they want. But they had to make those changes to combat how good those Villa kids were. And that's what I feel like we've got to be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, you know, if you're Bogard in the middle, you're looking at that team and thinking, "I've I've got a job today to keep these players quiet. Whilst you're on the pitch, you pretty much did. You pretty much did yeah. your job to a to a better expectation than we we all had. And that's you know we're not doing down these players, but again we mentioned all the stuff we we brought before the physicality, all sorts. Liverpool had to bring Firmino on, Thiago on to sort this game at Shakiri on. I know Shakiri's not a start for him, but you look at these players and there's a certain quality about them, right? That's that Villa just don't have. Uh, in that team, in the team playing, it was just a lot of potential. A kid who'd come from Baggies to Barcelona to Villa. There was nothing in this Villa team and to suggest any kind of a threat. But you look at the comments from Louis Barry after the game. He said when he got the ball, he knew it was going in. That's the confidence they were playing with against world-class players. And if they didn't you know, drop to fatigue and if they didn't need to kind of try and re-energise themselves throughout the match, who knows what could have happened. I don't think we would have won. Uh, but we could have given them another scare. I, th- I think Liverpool are always going to win, but we could have given them another real fright. So, and, you know, that's the best you can ask for. 
It's a shame it didn't go straight to penalties as well, because you do think if we'd if we'd have held on to that and it goes straight to penalties, then yeah, obviously anything happens at that point. Um so a few comments coming through that I just want to quickly read along the lines we were just saying. Um Chris Brunt said it's hilarious, really bringing on players like Thiago at half time, he changed the game. Rafael Spranzi, Spranoxki says Thiago bossed it today, totally changed the game. Uh, Declan says it took a World Cup winning, Champions League winning, multiple title winning midfielder in Thiago to change the game, show the character that was required against our team tonight. Uh, and exactly why I'm so proud of them. Um, I guess the next stage is, just to quickly wrap up tonight, because it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? I'm not going to talk about match specifics, about things that happen, because I, I don't think that's as relevant as analysing a Premier League game. It's, a, it's a, essentially a throwaway cup game against kids that will probably not play again for a, a long time, unless we need to call upon them again if the, if the COVID outbreak lasts longer for Villa than we think. So what are the next steps? We've got the Spurs on Wednesday and I think Everton on Saturday, I think, or Tuesday. I can't remember when it is. I don't know what the fixtures are, but Spurs and Everton are the next two in that 10 or 12 day isolation period or whatever it is. So what happens next? Does Spurs get rearranged? Is that up to the Premier League to decide? Because well, also, just before you answer that, I quite liked that Villa probably could have kicked up a bit more of a fuss today and, and demanded things and we want this and we want that and we want that. And it's like... I think there was one tweet or one club statement before saying, Aston Villa and the FA are trying to come to an agreement on getting the game to go ahead. Nothing said. We'll play the game. We'll do what we have to do. If we have to play kids, that's what we'll do. We'll go quietly kind of thing. I like that. I feel like that's a classy move from Villa to just go, yeah, we, we, we're missing our whole first team. We've been disrupted all week. The first team coaches won't even be there. We're going to struggle. We're probably going to lose, but we'll just get on with it. I quite like that. I don't know whether that's just me being current blue tinted uh, spectacles on, but I, I like stuff like that because we could have moaned about it and, and said, do this, do that. And I think that would have been the opposite of what Villa are like in terms of class. So what happens next? Do they now kick up a fuss about the Premier League or is the Premier League easy to rearrange? Villa are going to be maybe two games behind plus the two they've already got. Do they play on? Do some of the first team come back if their isolation period finishes earlier than others and we fill it with some of the under-23s against Spurs? Is that doable? Or is this something that we'll be looking at and going, well, Villa won't play now for 10 to 12 days? They won't play for 10 to 12 days. I can't really see the Spurs game going ahead with... The, the talk of the outbreak, I mean, we shouldn't speculate with any of this because it is players' health and it is the, the disease and that has caused the pandemic. And, you know, it was pretty touchy, it was pretty a touchy subject about his game going ahead after Villa's outbreak, which has been described as one of the, the worst outbreaks yeah. in the Premier League. Whether that's true, I don't know. But, you know, if it's that bad an outbreak, I don't think this game, for any reason, can go ahead because if, if it goes ahead, and there's false negative tests or anything, and a player plays and then gives that to Spurs, you're in real problems. And you well, know, you can't... pandemic spreads, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough. Um, these players ain't going to be coming back anytime soon. Um, the games are going to be delayed as they were for other teams who had um, COVID outbreaks. I think you look at Fulham and Man City who had to push yeah. games back. I can't see that. That it's not the case in the FA Cup because the schedule's different, and I think contractually the games have to be played at a certain by a certain point just to get it done with and the competition moving. And they've already made circumstances to make it a shorter competition this season anyway due to the schedule. So I think it it was either play your kids or forfeit it. And I don't think Villa wanted to, obviously didn't want to forfeit it. So they've played those. Uh, you see, those I hope ch- that carries on for the rest of the tournament though. Because as much <laughs> as Villa did handle it with class, if know, Man United in the quarterfinal get hit with COVID and they get theirs delayed, 
it, I'd be looking at that going, how come it was fair for them in the FA Cup but not for Villa to, to move things around? But that's a point that may never even happen. I suppose it's different for the Premier League. Someone in the comments just said you can't really play your kids in the Premier League. You would argue if you want to take the FA Cup seriously, though, you shouldn't really be playing your kids either. So, yeah. in theory, you could you could play your kids in the Premier League, but because we're doing so well in the league this year, Villa probably won't want to play that with with a depleted squad again. And if I think that why it's a worse outbreak than some of the others, it's because it's the whole first team bubble, isn't it? It's not like a few players and no everyone else is tested negative, and that's it. It's basically the whole first team is, is struggling with it. And as you said. The, the medical side of it is something that we don't even really think about with football and that's the, the main thing it is a, it's, a, it's a disease obviously it's a virus I think there's a difference actually between a disease and a virus before some d- doctor flagged me in the comments but we don't think the medical side of it for some reason we just think oh what games are going to be missing what player are we missing but there'll be some kind of medical effects for the players as well whoever got it for, in the first team don't, we don't know who it is obviously because, because of um patient confidentiality and stuff it's up to i think it's up to the players for themselves yeah. to say i'm the one who was was hit with it but we don't know what the effects will be after the the games that we miss as well yes we might miss spurs we might miss everton and that's a range rearranged fixtures and that's annoying but what happens to the players bodies after having covid what will what will that be like is this going to kind of derail the season because they're not as fit as they were before is this going to be six weeks before we see villa playing well again like there's more what? effects to COVID than, oh no, Villa are going to miss a game of football. Like, obviously, no doctor here, so I'm not going to oh, try right. and speak. We, we're both not doctors. There's probably not even a doctor in the comments, the comment section to come in and jump in and help us out, but there have been so, specific... Okay, instances. a doctor on board who we need to know, so there's a doctor in the Facebook comments. <laughs> there has been specific concerns about some players who return... The isolation period is clear. They're sending back negative tests. Just sometimes some of them don't have the same fitness level for a while. Sometimes it knocks it. Did I get a specific case that hits them hard? Sometimes if they're asymptomatic, they might develop a different condition down the line. I think that was researched in um, college football in the States about players who have tested positive, shown no symptoms, and a small, tiny, tiny minority. There, there can be a different type of heart rate or something like that. So it, it, it is a bit of a, a concern, obviously, because of what's going on in the world. Obviously, the health of the players is and, and the staff, of course, is an absolute priority. So, yeah, can't see this uh, this game going ahead. But, yeah, it could be a bit of a damaging thing. But, look, we've seen teams also kind of not shrug it off, but kind of return to a, a, a similar level to where they left off. So I wouldn't make any kind of speculation points at the moment about it. And then on the flip side of that, there's a few people in the comments talking about Newcastle saying there's players that are still still out with it now or, or suffering from the effects of it. In Robinson, I don't know whether this is true, it says that St Maximan still can't run to the end of his road because he's so unfit still after having it. I know that he's still he's obviously been missing since he's had it. Um it's going to affect it more differently. All the doctors were advising the world, but only on Facebook Live. <laughs> uh, imagine that. Um, but yeah, it affects everybody differently. If you're yeah. asymptomatic, you might not feel any effects from it, like post effects from it either. If you've seriously got a, a bad lung disease, virus, infection, whatever word you want to go for, that could have a serious effect on your fitness for a long time, not just a two week isolation period and a bit of running and then you'll be okay again. That could be months of. of of ill health, so like you said, the, the the health of the footballers and the staff is is paramount. What that means for Aston Villa, the football club, and our push for a Premier League title is, is two very different things. And we don't want to sit here and speculate. And I'm not going to do it for for much longer. 
Um, we did think about doing an episode about COVID with with a medical expert at some point. I don't know when that will be, and we need to find someone who's more clued up than we are. But because it's a, a virus that's new still, no one knows the long-term effects. No one knows what it's like if the year after you've had COVID because it's not been around that long to have that data anyway. So, like I said, we don't want to speculate too much. We just want Villa to come back healthy, fit, firing, and slot back straight into Premier League football as soon as possible. If that can happen, obviously remains to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we shouldn't, if we get news about things, we shouldn't speculate about who's going to return when and all sorts of that. Because even if you're not asymptomatic, you can still have effects on your, your fitness level anyway, because it is something that attacks a lot of parts of your body, not just one part. And uh, yeah, so we will have to look into it. We'll have to get an expert on here to speak about it because it is something that is affecting Aston Villa now. It's a problem in, in in our real world, in the world that we, and even the world we want to jump out of, yeah. because you don't want to listen to the real world. It, it's it's concerning all of that. Now. That's the thing. When we you asked me about, well, not asked me, but suggested doing an episode about COVID, I want this podcast to be an escapism from real life. This is for football talking. It's obviously for nonsense as well, but. Um, this is this is where we can come and talk about Villa for half an hour with fans and and, and kind of switch off from the rest of the world. Now COVID is getting into to Aston Villa. Obviously, it's been in football since since the start, but now it's actually affecting players physically. We can't not talk about it and go, oh well, let's just talk about something yeah. else because this is a, a new story that's happening with Villa and it's a developing story and will continue to develop for the next 10, 12 days. But. I don't, we don't know enough about it to say, oh, this is what's going to happen or this is what's going to happen. So we'll wait and see. I think that probably just about brings us to a close for tonight's yeah. episode, not as jovial as, as usual. The game we've seen tonight had plenty of positives and, and the Villa kids or the Aston Villa youth team did did very, very well and there's some bright futures we had there, I think. But obviously it comes with serious undertones that Aston Villa have been hit with a serious coronavirus outbreak and what happens in the next couple of weeks, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, on a positive note, we we were reminded once again what it means to be Villa and mm. score that first goal, a, a club you love. Um, Louis Barry's face said it also. Can you imagine uh, again, what, that, what that goal would have been like inside the stadium tonight? That pass and then having him run the whole length of the, the, the Liverpool half and slotting it away. Can you imagine the noise? Oh. Don't worry, I think it makes you sad, don't I miss it? it? I know, yeah. I miss it. Um, but yeah, we'll get out of here before we get too, um, too miserable. Thanks, everyone, who joined us live on Facebook this evening. Thanks for everyone who watched this podcast day after it came out. Please head over and leave us some reviews on iTunes. Um, you can also leave comments on YouTube as well, get involved in the conversation and the debate. There's a lot of conversation going on in the uh, Facebook live comments at the moment. I think there's some Blues fans or Liverpool fans in here actually saying that we're talking nonsense, which, yeah, fair, I don't care. Um, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Um, we'll be back again. When things develop, I guess, I was going to say we'll be back after Spurs, but if Spurs doesn't happen, then we won't be. So we'll be in and around things to speak about stuff. <laughs> it's as generic as I can be. Follow us on social media, follow us on Twitter, follow all our uh, reports over on Birmingham Live. Stay tuned to the current Blue feeds because stuff will be shared at some point. Um, we just can't say when yet because we don't know when Villa are going to play. So I'm going to get out of here. There's lots of other Villas coming in the comments. Thanks everyone who tuned in. Up the Villa. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.